Good day and welcome to another episode of Strictly Legal on WESN Content Capital. I am your host, Rondell Donoa, Tunias Law, and I'm excited once again to bring the law and you right here at Content Capital. You can, of course, stream us at WESNCC on all platforms. Now, let's get right into it. Of course, we know about judicial review. Many persons will hear um, that topic and will want to know what, what is really judicial review. Um, as we know, it is an action against the state. Um, but do you really understand as a citizen how it affects you, uh, the law and you? Now, I have a guest today um, who will simplify to you, the viewers, all that you need to know about the instant topic and why the rule of law matters. Um, his name is Kyle Takalal Singh. You may have seen his name um, many times in the, in the, uh, in the media. Uh, he's an attorney at law of Sovereign Chambers. Uh, he, he has developed his expertise in public law and constitutional law, um, which is part of public law. He's passionate about the role of judicial review in upholding and maintaining the rule of law, and he's enthusiastic to help others. Uh, he has... Um, he has been involved in several prominent cases, and we will speak about that shortly. So I will welcome my guest today. Kyle, how are you? I'm, I'm you don't doing mind well. if I call you Kyle, Of right? course not, Ronald. <laughs> Thanks a lot for having me on the show. I'm a big fan. I'm a little Thank nervous you. to be here, even more nervous <laughs> uh, than when I attend court. But, <laughs> no, but, but you, you usually have your programming too. So I do, I do, so, yes. so, so it's fine. Congrats to you. Thank you very so, much. So let's start right into the program because we know our time is limited. Right. Um, what, what is judicial review? So, I mean, when you, when you asked to do the interview, I was actually sitting and contemplating, well, what is a good definition that people yes. could understand? And there's really no true singular definition. The way I like to think about it is judicial review is an instrument by which regular people, ordinary citizens, can challenge the decision-making process of the state and yes. state bodies. And I think that's my, that's my understanding of it, generally speaking. And I, I want to emphasize, and it, was, it is emphasized throughout public course, law, yes. decision-making process. It is not an appeal. It is not that you are aggrieved by, let's say, um, a decision of an immigration officer, a decision yeah. of a customs officer, and you are necessarily going to appeal that to a court of law, what it actually is, is that the court will look at the process used to arrive at that decision and determine whether or not it was lawful. And of course, the law imports, imports certain standards in the way that public entities and public officers should make decisions. For uh, instance, yeah. they should give you a right to be heard. It's an ancient rule, audi alter impartem. Nobody should take a decision in which they should benefit. Nemo judis in causa sua. It means that there's the rule against bias. Yes, <laughs> the rule against bias. And, yes, and to yes. simplify, nobody should be a judge in his own cause, and everybody should have the right to be heard. Yes. And those are the kind of principles that you have when you talk about decision-making processes and challenging the process of making a decision. And this is any arm of the state. It could be executive, legislative, and of course, well, enterprises you, you as wouldn't, well. Well, you wouldn't necessarily interpret that um, judicial review because we have a little dichotomy between constitutional law and judicial review. You wouldn't necessarily judicial review a legislative, or, um, so a piece of legislation per se. You would challenge it by constitutional motion. And what I mean by that is, Judicial review in our jurisdiction is usually reserved for the bureaucracy of the state. Mm -hmm. The state is a leviathan. It's a huge monster. It impacts people's lives in a different way. You need a passport, you go to immigration. You yeah. need a license, you go to the licensing office. Mm -hmm. You need to build something out of town and country. So the state 
takes decisions through these various agencies all the time. It affects yeah. our lives in so many different ways. How do we as a citizen standing against the state get justice? How do we hold them to account to ensure the decisions are lawful? Yeah. And that's where judicial review and the beauty of judicial review comes in. And any person can, can make an action so, um, for judicial review? So usually there's a test of locus. If the decision affects you personally, meaning you made the application yes. for your building license and permit and you refuse, you can challenge that decision. However, there are cases that could be brought in the public interest. Okay. So for instance, we've seen these public, these regulations. Yes, there are direct interests um, where you may be aggrieved and you take a decision, but yeah. you could also bring something in the public interest. As long as, and the law says some very nice words, as long as you're not a busybody, mm -hmm. as long as you're a genuine person bringing these claims. We see it a lot in environmental claims, for instance, fishermen and friends of the sea. Yeah. They bring cases on, on what they perceive to be in the public interest to protect the environment. And that's another beauty, beautiful part about judicial review. It's open to ordinary citizens to challenge the state on behalf of the entire society. But of course, you must um, satisfy a test. Yes, a local test. And those test. are the grounds. Yes, there's a local mm -hmm. test and the court must be satisfied that you're actually acting in the public's interest and that the matter is one that is deserving of its resources and time yeah. to determine in the public interest. In fact, what the courts go on to say is that we're not interested in about academic debates. So you can't just file a claim because, hey, I think that point of law needs to be determined at this stage and it's an academic debate. They don't want you to condescend into academic debates. It's supposed to be practical. So there is something going on in society. You want to challenge it, let's challenge it and let the court deal with it. And, and that's how um, you vindicate the rule of law, yes. basically. Yeah. And what are the grounds um, for what are the grounds for bringing a judicial review proceeding? Um, so there are several grounds, and the Judicial Review Act sets out a number of grounds. Yes. Um, principally, you have Lord Diplock in a famous case, the GCHQ case, right? Um, basically, said, look, you have irrationality, you have illegality, and then you have procedural unfairness. Yeah. And those are simple. Illegality is what we call the ultra-virus doctrine. And what we mean by that is you're acting outside the law. Yes. So the statute says you have this power and you have acted outside of that power. You are entitled to bring a judicial review to tell that decision maker, no, no, no. The law says you must do ABC. You should stick to ABC and not go on to G, you know, yeah. onwards. Yeah. You also have irrationality where it's a very high threshold, but you say that the decision maker has gone so awry he has taken into his consideration things that really are irrelevant, right? You need a license. You should be able to drive on the road. Mm -hmm. But the decision maker says, yeah, but um, he goes to a lot of parties, right? Who are you to, who who are you, you to dictate? You are dictated, that, but yes. the point is it's a totally irrelevant consideration. And that is how you have this irrationality challenge to judicial review. Yes. You also have procedural fairness. And that's what I spoke about earlier when you talk about right to be heard and or natural justice. And those are, that is essentially the procedural irregularity challenge. The law has spawned, has moved on since Diplock in the 1980s. Um, it has gone on now in some regards to proportionality. That's a big debate in law, whether proportionality should stand on its own as a ground of judicial review or whether it should simply be only invoked when a constitutional right is being and, um, interfered with. And for person, proportionality, what, what, what constitutes proportionality well, in this instance? proportionality is basically, it's, it's exactly that, without yeah. getting into the magic of different legal tests. Yes. What was a decision proportionate? It's often used in sanctions. So there was a famous case where, um, where Denning introduced, I would say, from my research, 
a concept of proportionality. A market vendor was put out of the market, and he was put out of the market. Um, he was given a lifetime ban because he urinated in the market. And he was banned for life. And Denning said, well, yes, while the, the offense is egregious, does a lifetime ban fit the, pen, fit the, the crime? Yes. That penalty seems exorbitant. And so you had that concept of proportionality seeping into the law. Right. In Trinidad, we're not unfamiliar with it. It's a constitutional test. Yeah. Whether the power, um, whether it's a legitimate aim that you serve. I'm, I'm sure many people have heard the Attorney General advocate proportionality all the time. Yes. He likes that test. Yes. Um, so that's a ground. There's also the ground of transparency, meaning that a public authority should act in a transparent manner. One of the big ones in Trinidad is legitimate expectation. The government makes promises and representations to citizens all the time. And you see the, a lot of that in public, of, um, public offices, where yes. public officers would yes. have legitimately expect yes. to be promoted. And that's because you could have a practice of doing things by seniority, which is a common complaint in the public service. Um, this has been the practice. We promote via seniority and therefore have a legitimate expectation. It could be that the public authority sets out a policy. We will judge you by ABC. And you can be entitled to this benefit, mm -hmm. but they, they decide to change their policy. You would have had a legitimate expectation to, be, to use that policy and to be assessed by that policy. There are other, there's a famous Clico case where, where the allegation was that the government made certain um, representations to former policyholders. Mm -hmm. That matter went to the Privy Council. The Privy Council basically held, well, yes, there may have been a legitimate yeah. expectation, but because of these macroeconomic um, considerations, we're entitled to frustrate that legitimate expectation. So there's sufficient flexibility right. in that area of law. Yes. Yeah? And um, I mean, you touched on legitimate expectation because mm -hmm. I would have noted that in uh, there is a particular um, case whereby the, the, um, the Minister of Finance, I think you would have written a, a pre-action letter mm -hmm, mm -hmm. to the Minister of Finance because they failed to promote um, the chairman of um, yes, there's of a, a there's board. Yes, yeah, there's a matter. We actually filed the case, yes. so it's before the court. Yes. Um, so I don't want to talk too much about so it, but it is in the public media. But the point, that, that's just another example of a public officer having an expectation to do something yes. and it being frustrated because the government has changed its position. And the, the simple way to think about it and for people to think about it so that they know if they have a right. If the government has made a promise to you, which is clear, devoid of qualification, and they have deviated from that promise, mm -hmm. it could be a settled practice, or it could be actually put, I will act in this way, and they've deviated from that practice, then you have a cause of action in judicial review. Um, the law recognizes that government can't be held to its own policy forever. In fact, when you change government, when you change administrations, people are entitled to adopt different policies. But what the courts will say is, well, look, if you're going to change your policy, you have to do it fairly. It may or may not involve consultation. Yeah. It should involve notice. It should have some transitory provisions to ease the harshness. But you must be changing this policy for a legitimate aim, right? You can't just be doing this to act arbitrarily. Mm -hmm. You should not frustrate my legitimate expectation yeah. unnecessarily, or you should do it in a fair manner. Right. And, um, okay. So someone, that's, that's case in point. Yeah. Someone would uh, have a grievance. Yes. Uh, they would come to an attorney. Mm -hmm. What steps, um, what is the procedure to start judicial review proceedings? Right. So people need, first of, I think one of the first things, people need to be aware of their rights. And shows like yours um, are very helpful in that regard. Um, so they need to understand when they may or may not be aggrieved. And the easiest way to do that, of course, is to consult a lawyer. I don't think you necessarily have to go to a specialist public law lawyer. 
Um, generally, I think all lawyers have a good understanding of the public law um, lexicon. Um, so they come to you, they make their complaint. The first thing the lawyer would, would determine as well, is the decision a public decision? Is it made by a public decision maker? Is it made by the government or a state arm or someone exercising public power? That's how you know if they're going to judicial review. I can't judicial review a show. That's yeah. not a, it's not a public body. Yes, you look correct. at public bodies and you look at the decision, the quality of the decision. Is it a decision that is one that is public and has public consequences and that sort of thing? So the common ones are immigration decisions, customs decisions, yep. um, town and country decisions, some decisions by RHEs, um, you know, um, other public service decisions, generally speaking. Those are, are, are further ministerial decisions. Those are generally ones um, which are clothed with the necessary quality of, pub public, of a public nature to invoke judicial review. You do that pre-action protocol, usual along the civil train, you make an application for leave to apply for judicial review. Um, that is because the court does not want to waste its time and but, it's but, a filtering but, process. But the first thing before you reach to that um, stage, mm -hmm. you, you, do you have to write a pre-action protocol letter? Of course. They, well, pre-action protocol is always, yeah. it's part of the protocol. It's always necessary. There are circumstances where you can circumvent it. Uh, because the matter is urgent and you feel that you could either bridge the time, um, you, instead of the usual 21 days, you give seven days, or you could um, not issue it, but you'd have to explain to the court why you didn't issue it because you, you were out of time. And one of the reasons, especially for public law practitioners, what we have to be concerned about is a time limit, which people should also understand. Generally speaking, you have a three-month time limit from yeah. the time the decision is made. It's not like regular civil law where you have four years. So people who feel that their, trans, their public law rights have been transgressed, they need to act quickly. And, and that is because you, it's for good administration. It, there's a good reason it. For instance, if you wanted to challenge a promotion, you can't wait four years after someone has been promoted instead of you. They're in the position and then you want to bring a challenge four, months, four years later. You have to do it quickly because you don't want someone to go along the line and a third party filling the position and then you are now bringing a challenge to upset the entire order of the administration. But is there, is there, well, of course, there's a limitation period for bringing up. So it's three months, generally review. speaking, but that test has been, um, I would say, interpreted in a generous manner. Recently, there's a case of Devant Maraj, Devant Maraj brought a claim, um, and the courts basically said, well, look, yes, there, you have to be strict with it, but there are other considerations. Was he, is he matter any public interest? Is anybody prejudiced um, by by you bringing your claim late. And if so, we'll allow you to bring your claim outside the three months period, but you have to have good reason and all these other factors you have to satisfy. Now, the court will make certain um, orders. Yes. Uh, let's say the government or whoever, the public body, mm -hmm. does not follow through on those orders. What, yes. what, what, what happens? What are the consequences? Well, it's the, I mean, any court order should be respected, first of all. Um, it's not only, and I would go so far as to say, and I think, and there is law to support this, if an order is made against a citizen, you, you have to comply or you could face contempt of court. If you are aware of an order, even if you're a citizen aware of an order, you should do what you need to do to ensure that order is enforced. You can't obstruct the execution of an order. Yeah. That may also lead you into contempt. And similarly, like public bodies, um, they have a greater duty as a public body to follow orders of the court. They must respect orders of the court. And, and there are many cases. I remember one from India. Um, the, the name escapes me right now. Yeah. But they actually say that the state is not like a regular litigant. The state is a virtuous litigant because it has a greater duty to ensure that the rule of law is upheld. Yeah. If the state 
wants to break the law and break court orders, then who are regular citizens that follow the law? And that really goes to the root of law and why we're a society governed by laws as opposed to men. Yeah. Now, notably, you would have been involved in a lot of judicial review matters. If you, if you Google search your name, you would see well, many matters. By, by good guidance and good opportunity. And, of course, yeah. of course. Now, I, I, I want to touch, I know this matter, as you said, is, is before the courts or mm -hmm. soon to be before the courts. Yeah. But there's a particular... Um, matter with respect to the scholarship yeah um the uh, the criteria for uh, awarding scholarships mm -hmm. that has made up that has been quite in the public domain yeah um could you just tell us what what exactly well is yes the, i mean i won't go into the merits with, merits yes. of it um if you would excuse that i won't Certainly. go into the merits but what i can say it's essentially a challenge based on legitimate expectations the argument is very simple students were told that they could obtain scholarships based on certain criteria that criteria was academic performance. Criteria has changed. Some students have already written exams. Some students have already prepared themselves in that way. The changing of the criteria to other things like extracurricular activities and whatever, that may be laudable and that may be a good policy. Yeah. But what about the students who would have already prepared themselves and said, look, I'm not going to do this, I'm not going to do that, I'm going to beat book. Right, yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. And I have put myself in a position to win a scholarship. Shouldn't those students um, at least up to a certain point, be given the opportunity to be assessed for scholarships on the criteria that you promised they would be assessed for. And that is essentially the, the, the thrust of the claim. It's a legitimate expectation. expectation. Yeah. And, um, and there was another um, matter whereby uh, you, you would have filed a pre-action protocol letter against the state mm -hmm. um, with respect to import duties that funeral homes are. Um, yeah, that's, yeah. An that's another one that's before the court. <laughs> yes. um, that's, that, I think that shows um, the flexibility of judicial review. Um, that's a case for the funeral association. Basically, the way when goods come into customs, and customs law is something that um, I've learned a lot. Yeah. Um, my previous association with Fortis Chambers, it said, Mr. Jack, they were saying I've learned a lot of customs law there. Um, what, um, essentially, that's a classification issue. So what you had was um, goods coming in, it has to be classified for the purposes of duties, right? Um, there's a lot of fighting as to where you're going to classify my good. Right. Because obviously some duties are higher, some duties are lower. lower. Mm -hmm. The Funeral Association, of course, is saying, well, look, this hearse is this type of car, so it should be at a lower level. The mm -hmm. state, interested in the taxes, are saying, no, it should be classified at this because the taxes are higher. And because, so you we have funeral, a because you know hearses now, um, they, 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 they've changed, the models have changed, yes, so it's yes. now look more like an SUV. Well, and you're pitching the like argument that. for the state. I'm a little worried. <laughs> but, essentially, but, that's yeah, but essentially, that's the argument. The state is saying, look, it might be a luxury vehicle. Associated yeah. with, no, this is a special purpose. We aren't going, to, we aren't going, on, a, going on a date. With but it does look like a Hummer, yeah? Well, <laughs> I'll leave that for the court to determine. <laughs> now, Kyle, yeah. um, the sedition law judgment, mm -hmm. that, has been, that has been a very, very trending matter, whereby yeah. the, the Court of Appeal in Trinidad would have overruled um, the lower court's yes. um, pronouncement on that, um, mm -hmm. on that particular issue. But now, um, I would have noted that you all filed a new motion um, um, that has to be lodged before the Privy Council. Yeah. To, um, to challenge the Court of Appeal decision. Mm, yes. If you can just explain to the public um, the, the procedure well, in okay, terms of so, how that... Um, it's the regular appellate process. And I yeah. want people to understand that due process of law also includes an appellate process. We filed a case before the, the High Court. We got a ruling which was in our favor. The state was entitled to appeal it. Um, it's gone to the Court of Appeal. The highest appellate body in our country is the Privy Council. The litigants in that matter are entitled to go to the Privy Council 
to challenge the court of, well, to challenge the decision, the, the, the law, but ultimately to review the Court of Appeals decision. And that's where we are headed now. We filed it. We've gotten a leave from the Court of Appeal. You have to get something called conditional leave. Um, it's in these types of cases is what we call as of right. Um, it has now gone to the Privy Council, meaning that once we satisfy certain conditions, yes. you pay the 500 pounds, you settle your record or whatever it is, we can now argue it before the Privy Council. And ultimately, the Privy Council will determine um, a question that I think is very important for us as a society. It's, it's a wider socio-political and a, a, a perhaps it's I believe in that case because it has to do with our identity. Yeah. Because some, some, some persons may say that this, this particular matter is political, mm -hmm. right? Because you are saying now that, um, you mm -hmm. know, you, you should note, you, sh you should be guided as to mm -hmm. what you incite. Because mm -hmm. we've seen Trinidad and Tobago is a very political country. Yeah. So you've seen where persons use their mouths mm -hmm. um, with liberties and, um, and they may incite certain, yeah. Yeah. certain actions yeah. and... Um, you know, what are your thoughts on, 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 on this entire one section of the society stating that it's a political, it's, it's, it's a witch hunt, to, um, it's to, a, to expunge a law that, that is needed? It's a free speech issue for me. Yeah. You know, as you were saying, I was reminded um, of a video I, I heard um, given by, a speech given by Mia Motley, I think last year sometime. She mm -hmm. was addressing a Caribbean conference and she spoke about self-contempt. And she said, we in the Caribbean are imprisoned by our self-contempt because we feel we can't be the next astronaut. We can't be the next, because we're on a small island. And some, to me, I feel sometimes that it's almost a type of disbelief in ourselves and self-contempt that we as a society can't maturely discuss issues and debunk opinions that are plainly wrong. Mm -hmm. The way to deal with Poor speech, to put it mildly, the way to deal with offensive speech is with speech. But then how if, far must one go? Okay, yeah. I agree that you cannot use speech to incite violence, and that is clearly the law. You can't say, I can't tell you, Donald, let's go and put a hit on somebody now. That's obviously um, illegal, and there are other laws to deal with it. But in terms of your opinion, I don't know if some, let me put it, let me put it very plain. Mm -hmm. If someone is a racist, I would rather know that they are a racist rather than you pass a law saying that um, they're not to say anything. But then, but, then, but then you have persons who have a following and of course, they may you have know, as, as, as in the United States, we've seen Trump. Mm -hmm. He has a following. There may have been certain um, um, utterances that may yeah. be construed as racism. Yeah. So, so again, it's how far one thinks that they and can my, go as a And the best speech. place to debunk bad ideas. Right is in the marketplace of ideas. Right. I have never known, I have never known in the annals and history of all societies that censorship destroys bad ideas. In fact, what, they, what, what happens is that they fester. And when you fester bad ideas, it's even worse for society. In order to think, Ronald, you have to be able to, to speak. Mm -hmm. People are going to form ideas and they're going to say it in bad ways. That influence, but then you have influence, but, but, and then somebody may act and, on and those that's why, ideas. And that's why we have other right-thinking members of society who are willing to come out and say, well, you're wrong. And that's how our society deals with issues. But what's worse is think about the alternative. Mm -hmm. Think about the alternative. So we suppress ideas. The, even some of the worst ideas, or at a time when people thought that ideas were bad, um, History has shown them to be good. 
communism is the perfect idea. Communism was rampant in Russia, mm -hmm. but it led to something called the Gulag Archipelago, where hundreds of thousands of people were imprisoned and killed, and all those types of things under Stalin. But communism was well accepted, but you know what they had? They had a law saying you couldn't speak against communism, you couldn't speak against Stalin, because that was against the national good. And then what happened? That society turned out, it's history, what has happened with communism, and the amount of lives lost. And so what we have, what, what, what is the best way right. to deal with that, in my view? I'm, perhaps I'm a libertarian, but the way to deal with that, in my view, is with, with free speech. And you can't do it. Um, you can't do it with censorship. There's a famous quote which says that, that statements, society is deprived of the truth if you suppress freedom of speech. Because when bad ideas come, one, you don't know what the bad ideas do, but two, you're deprived of understanding and appreciating why the idea is bad. Mm -hmm. Because that bad idea, bad idea has to collide with truth. Mm -hmm. And people like you, people like me, people like other people in society will get on their high horses, use forums, use shows. They say, well, that idea is bad and call them out and subject it to criticism. But then, but then that leads now to, to the issue of defamation, yes. which, is another, which, is, which is another issue because now while you are advocating, yes, we need free speech. Mm. Well, what about defamatory action? What about defamatory statements, slander, I, and all these different things I that agree. has no... Yeah, I agree fully, mm. but the law has put reasonable limits on free speech, which I understand. So I've spoken about um, inciting violence. Another one is defamatory of, um, def defamation, defamation of character, which you are entitled to bring a civil suit for. But when you talk about a law that is so all-pervasive that you, you cannot have disaffection, you can't cause disaffection by the government, what does that mean? Yep. And, and, you know, and, and I've said... I am an advocate okay. for free speech. You are an advocate for free speech. But we have to, we have to continue this conversation. Of, of course, course, time is up, Kyle. Anytime. Time is up. However, um, we thank you mm -hmm. for coming on this program to, to bring to this discourse because yeah. the public needs to know. Yeah. Yeah? Um, so, guys, this is a wrap. You have been watching Strictly Legal. Thank you to Kyle Takla, attorney at law, for coming on board um, with this program on Judicial Review. Again, see us next week. Have a good day. Goodbye.